Your Locked On Canucks, your daily podcast on the Vancouver Canucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello again, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome back to Locked On Canucks. I am your host, Lachlan Irvin. Today's episode is brought to you by the Top 50 Players Locked On NHL Special. Who are this season's Top 50 NHL Players? Find out on the Locked On NHL podcast. Joe DiBiase, Mike DiStefano, and Rachel Donner reveal the Top 50 Players as voted on by our local experts, including me, across the Locked On NHL network of podcasts. Subscribe to the Locked On NHL podcast on YouTube and turn on your notifications so that you never miss an episode. Hit that bell, as uh, as a YouTuber would say. Uh, and today we're uh, completing our series on that I, I started on the last episode, where uh, we're projecting the Canucks uh, opening night roster. We're going to be talking about the defense today, uh, and I guess we'll do a sentence on the goaltenders as well. And then we'll be doing a new little segment that I'm uh, trying out. Uh, we're going to be doing a little Canucks history corner where we go back and we to uh, uh, a sort of on this day or this amount around this point in time in Canucks history and chat about it for us, chat about it for a bit. Uh, but first, let's get into the defense about the Vancouver with the Vancouver Canucks going into this season because. Th- Let's be here. Let's be clear here. It's a bit of a mixed bag. On one hand, you have some very good, talented players. Well, presuming that, of course, their contracts get signed in time for this season to begin. Right now, uh, who knows? That might be a little bit easier said than done when it comes to Quinn Hughes, especially with the amount of cap space the Canucks have left to dish out. They only have about ten and a half million dollars plus, maybe Michael Furlan's contract as well to. Uh, give to both him and Elias Pettersson, both who are worthy of a massive payday. Um, and then, of course, you have players like Jack Rathbone uh, who are coming into their own, and you have uh, Oliu Alevi, potentially, who could, you know, you, we, it feels like we've seen what he what he's capable of, but you never know. You have a couple question marks. Uh, I guess you would throw him in there with, uh, say, Oliver ekman Larson, who is a, obviously a well-established defenseman, albeit one who's been on a bit of a slide, and we've talked about that in a previous episode as well. And then you have some of the uh, the the players that you know and the players you're a little worried about when it comes to, say, like Tyler Myers and Travis Hamanick. Um, the defense is, seems very set in stone, which is why I think today we're going to go into kind of two directions of thinking about it. Specifically, I'm not going to just focus solely on what I think Travis Green will go for because that seems very different than, say, what I might do or what, say— anyone might do in a scenario where, say, money is not an object. Because here's the thing that I think sometimes gets lost in cap space when you're not really thinking about it. Cap space or how much a cap hit of how much of your cap, uh, how big a cap hit a player is taking on your roster, I think can really depend, uh, can really make a difference, obviously, on how much that player plays. If you're investing a lot of money in a player and they're not working out, you're still going to give them every single chance to try and prove that wrong, that line of thinking wrong, uh, because you can't afford for them to not work and to, say, sit in the press box or as a healthy scratch or uh, be playing fourth-line minutes for a lot of money. So you, you or 
or even going down to the AHL. So you really need those contracts to work out, which is why I think in some cases you're going to see players who maybe shouldn't be giving getting as great an opportunity or as many chances to prove themselves. We've seen it with Louis Erickson many times before he was traded. Um, they'll get every single opportunity to prove themselves, which is all right, but also eventually you get to a point where it's like, okay, there are options that are maybe not making as much money that could be better. Um, but we'll start with the obvious ones here. On the left, on the left side of things, it's, it's pretty set. Like, I would say it's almost a, it's, it's, it's very clear who the Canucks top three are on the left side. Uh, obviously you have Quinn Hughes right at the top, and then you have Oliver Ekman Larson coming in for his first season looking to rebound from a couple pretty disappointing years in Arizona. And then you have Jack Rathbone, the rookie. Now, uh, he looked very good at the end of last season. I think with a little bit more runway, he was he was on base to have a he was having a very good year. And it's too bad it got kind of it got kind of uh, messed up in a in a certain way, just with you know how the taxi squad ended up shaking out and uh, you know the COVID outbreak, all of those other things. I think with had he gotten more opportunities to play at the NHL level, I think he would have really ended up with some pretty decent numbers uh, stats wise. Um, but I think he proved last year that he is ready for NHL competition. And I think the Canucks know that because frankly, they didn't really go out and say, and just try to give his spot away. Like they didn't sign another major veteran that would potentially take his place. The only big name they really signed, the only, well, the only name they signed for this side, uh, in free agency was Brad Hunt, who has played previously with the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. I believe he was an expansion pickup from, from them in uh, prior to that in, uh, I want to say Minnesota. I could be wrong. Uh, might have been, uh, or might have been uh, Nashville, actually. My bad. It was Nashville. Um, and he did, he, he played 45, he played 45 games for the original Golden Misfits team in 2017-18, scored 18 points. In 2019-20, he had 19 points with the Wild, and last year he only was only able to get into 12 contests. He's a solid defenseman, but I don't think they signed him to take the place of Jack Rathbone. I would be... I would have. I'd expect that for that to happen, Brad Hunt would have to have the training camp and preseason uh, of his life to of, of a lifetime to get over Rathbone in the depth chart. He might have a chance at beating Ole Olevi out for that spot for that fourth uh, spot on the left side or like the the healthy scratch option maybe. Um, but that's a but that's a whole other conversation. As far as Jack Rathbone is concerned, I mean, I think it's pretty clear at least going into the season that. Maybe with OEL coming in, he's not the second most established NHLer on the roster, but I think by the end of the season, he could be considered the number two guy on that side. He could very well be the second pairing left defenseman over Oliver Ekman Larson if things shake out, I think, the way that they will. Um, obviously Ekman Larson is a lock to make, a lock to make it as well, uh, for the, for the reasons kind of that I mentioned at the top of the, uh, at the top, like he could have the worst preseason ever, but the fact that he is the highest paid player on the Vancouver Canucks today means that he will make, that he's, he's guaranteed in, and he's a, he's a solid NHLer. Like, don't, don't get me wrong for all the things that I've said about, uh, Oliver Ekman Larson, the worries and concerns I have about his game. 
Um, this is a guy who routinely puts up uh, who routinely puts up twenty plus points a year. That that can't that's not nothing. That's that's and that's something the Canucks have have lacked from from a certain point of view outside of Quinn Hughes. They don't have a lot of guys who can necess- on defense who can necessarily put the puck in the net. Uh, of course, Jim Benning will tell you otherwise. He will tell you that uh, they have plenty of puck carrying, puck moving defensemen, uh, and they don't need any more offense from that side. Which, to be fair, they definitely need more defensive defensemen on the roster. But um, I wouldn't say they're exactly have a uh, an absolute gold mine just full of them right now. Um, but either way, uh, Ekman Larson will probably start on that second pairing, and I think you'll see Jack Rathbone on the third, getting choice minutes. And I think that's I think that's probably the way you're going to see that that left defense side shake out. You know, it's not always easy to build the winningest blue line in the NHL, but it is easy to build the winningest money line with today's sponsor, BetOnline AG. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including the internet's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest, open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo by making a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, hockey, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Moving on over to the right side now, the Canucks defense, where I think this is where it gets a little bit different for what I might see versus what management might see or what you might see as well in the same sort of uh, way. Here, the Canucks actually have about four different options that they could be using at the NHL level. Obviously, you have the incumbents of Tyler Myers and Travis Hamanick both returning. Myers, of course, is uh, on year three of his five-year of his five-year deal, and uh, Travis Hamanick having returned on a new two-year contract uh, with a cap hit of three million dollars per. Um, this now you add to the mix here. Uh, is you got Tucker Pullman uh, coming in on a contract that a lot of people, including myself, thought was very questionable. Uh, he's been given a four-year contract uh, worth $10 million, so they'll be making $2.5 million per season on the cap. And then everyone's favorite, uh, everyone's favorite seventh defenseman, Luke Shen, returning to the Canucks for a second go-around after having won back-to-back championships with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He comes back on a two-year deal, making 850 k per year. Now, here's the thing with this group. The Canucks, for all the offensive output I talked about on the left side of the defense, um, there's not really any of that outside of maybe Tyler Myers on the right side. This is a group of guys who aren't really known for their scoring and specifically aren't the players you want to ask to be the scoring contributors. I mean, last year, uh, Tucker Pullman played in 39 games and had a grand total of one assist all year. It was not a, it was not a banner points year for Tucker Pullman by any stretch of the imagination. 
and Travis Hamanick, of course, was not here to score last year. He was here to kind of uh, feather the bridge the gap in between the pandemic pause season and this year. Uh, why he got another contract uh, after bridging that gap is very is uh, anyone's guess. Um, he, but I will say this for Hamanick: he played very well with Quinn Hughes at points last year. Like he seemed like a decent fit for Hughes. At points in the season, was he the best? Is he the best possible option in a sea of defensemen? Probably not. Is he work for a? Is he working a pinch? Sure, why not? And I could see very well. I could see a such a scenario where he is back on that on that right side alongside Quinn Hughes uh, this season. And I think probably that's what his best his best odds are at making the team are is if he can find chemistry with Hughes. And maybe to a degree past where he found it last year, because that's going to be crucial. Um, the biggest thing the Canucks have really struggled with when it comes to the last few years with Quinn Hughes is that they have not found him a proper partner. Uh, Chris Tanev was a great was a great help in the one season in the in the one season that they played together, uh, but after that, um, they don't have they don't really have anyone else. No one else who you'd want to fit. Who has who who feels like a good fit for him, or that could potentially take him to the next level? Travis Hamanick is going to be fine. He'll he'll tread water. He seems able to keep up with Quinn Hughes for the most part, uh, but he's not going to say push Quinn Hughes to another echelon of great defense. It's going to be a little bit more of a trial by fire kind of thing for Hughes, which is why I think a lot of last year Hughes struggled at points. Like I think I think Nate Schmidt. For example, last season was the ideal pairing for Quinn Hughes and would have been the best player to put on his right side. The problem was they couldn't really afford to put him alongside Hughes because they needed his offense and his contributions elsewhere, specifically playing alongside uh, a much slower, a um, a re, uh, regressing Alex Edler. So... They needed to kind of they needed to sp- uh, spread the offense out a little bit more than they than they probably would have liked to. This year they didn't really remedy that specifically because Nate Schmidt is now gone, uh, and to replace him you don't you, they replaced him more or less with Oliver Ekman Larson, who of course is going to play on the other side, um, which leaves us with a kind of an interesting. Uh, conundrum here. You got about three defensemen here, all potentially who could be in the NHL lineup. And here's the thing: this is this is really where we get into the what I would do versus what I know the Canucks are more likely to do. So, if we're projecting this based on how the Canucks are going to look at this, most likely what I think you're probably going to see is something along the lines of say Tyler Myers playing with OEL on the second pairing. Um, two veterans, they have, they both have huge red flags when it comes to play in their own end of the ice, but I think they're going to put them together just because I think it makes the most sense to put them as a unit. Um, and then you're going to probably see Tucker Pullman playing with Jack Rathbone. Um, now I don't necessarily think that that's probably the best case because I think Rathbone is a young guy. You need a player, a defenseman that can uh, be more of a nurturing, uh, uh, defenseman, a part, defensive partner, uh, specifically being able to say, be the steadying force when the rookie is learning and is trying to develop their own game and not having to worry about it for Quinn Hughes. That was Chris Tanev. And for Rathbone, I feel like that guy should be Luke Shen. 
So Shen is as coming off of again two seasons in Tampa where he was the more or less the seventh eighth defenseman uh for the Lightning ended up turning that into two Stanley Cups so not a bad run for him and previously he had been a Canuck for about uh I want to say 15 games of uh, some of which he played alongside Quinn Hughes in his very first few NHL games the thing that people loved about Luke Shen at the time specifically was this was coming off of the season where we had had where they had traded Eric Goodbranson and Eric Goodbranson had been routinely touted by the Canucks as this big burly tough guy who's going to make big hits and uh to stand up for the young guys which is if you've ever seen Eric Goodbranson play is really not his style. He was always sold as this player that he just wasn't and didn't seem like he ever really wanted to be hence why it did not work then you bring in Luke Shen who is basically exactly what the Canucks advertised Eric Branson as and more he was and for a cheaper price he was a great fit on the Canucks for the short uh the short time he spent there um a lot of uh, yeah I think a lot of people really liked really took a liking to Luke Shen including myself he didn't score a lot of points he didn't need to because he was playing uh, a lot of he was playing a lot of minutes alongside Quinn Hughes and along the with the some of the other scoring defensemen and it worked perfectly for what his role was he fit it and did it well he brought energy he brought aggressiveness and he was able and he brought physicality which the Canucks didn't have a lot of on their defense at the time and still really don't um this is why I think Luke Shen is the best fit to play with Rathbone as far as what the Canucks have in the system right now I think he would provide a steadying force as the, you know, stay-at-home defenseman. You don't have to worry about him necessarily jumping up into the rush uh, or taking big risks knowing that he's going to have a rookie defenseman uh, on his left side. I think you're going to see him be able to bring Rathbone in and move, and push him along and give, more most importantly, give Rathbone the opportunities to step up into the play and make uh, say take a take a big risk or pinch at a at a time that might not always be the most opportune, uh, and be able to and be able to steady that back end when he does, because there and that because that is so important for a young defenseman developing and in, into their own. They're gonna make mistakes. They need somebody who can make who can make up for those mistakes and isn't going to uh take the same risks and leave them stranded in a bad situation at times i think luke shen fits that profile perfectly i think he's a very good fit to play with rathbone on an on a more or less nightly basis now can luke shen necessarily play 82 games a year at this point it, that is the main question um and maybe you could make the i think you could make the easily make the argument that maybe that's not the best case scenario maybe luke shen shouldn't be playing 82 games i think on a steady defense he is again like the lightning show last year that he is the seventh guy he's not the he's not in the lineup all the time but when he is he's a, he's able to keep up and immediately jump in and make it seem like there is nobody lost on that on that right side um right now i think he'd be most likely in line to play 82 games but this is the this is the key part right is Luke Shen is more or less making less is making pretty close to a league minimum. He's only making 850k per season. He's not a million dollar player. He's not a two mil two and a half million dollar player like say Tucker Pullman is. I think if I'm the Canucks, I rather say put Pullman in the in the press box as your seventh 
and you and you put Luke Shen on the third pairing with Rathbone. Give them good. Give them uh, if you're Travis Green, you give them uh, favorable minutes. You put him. You put Rathbone and Shen in opportunities to succeed. Maybe over time, you maybe push them into that third pairing because especially this plan hinges on the idea that Tyler Myers and Oliver Ekman Larson are going to be playing together. And if there's one thing that I don't think they're going to be very good at, it's keeping scoring chances out of their own end, which is what Luke Shen is very good at, is pretty darn good at for what for what he is as a defenseman, for his skill set. Uh, I think the best fit there is to put uh, Rathbone is at the end of the season. If things are going well, you got Hughes playing with Hamannick for the, for now, and then you move on, and then you have a second pairing of Rathbone and Shen playing the bulk of the minutes that maybe OEL and Tyler Myers are starting with at the beginning of the season, with Tucker Pullman sitting as your number seven and Oliu Levy playing as say either number eight or uh, developing with a, taking a little bit more time to develop in Abbotsford. Developing your defensive prospects is super important to a hockey team's success. Almost as important as developing good eating habits is for you. And that's where Built Bar comes in. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And they have so many delicious flavors for you to try out. And if you haven't heard of them, you're missing out on things like strawberry, raspberry, mint brownie, and German chocolate. And if you haven't tried all their flavors, you can get a mixed box where you'll get two of each of their nine flavors. That is so much choice for you. And not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they are healthy too. You can check out the macros. They have calories ranging from 130 to 180 grams and only four to five grams of net carbs per bar. They're all amazing flavors. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. Order today and you can get raspberry raspberry or the grasshopper cookie, whatever you like. Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team too. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. And finally tonight, we'll be finishing with a brand new segment that I am trying out for the first time called uh, Canucks History Corner. We might change the name. This is what we're calling it for now. It's the very first time we're trying it. Uh, Because, look, the Canucks have 51 years of history to go through. I had to double check on that because here's the thing. The Canucks... Uh, in case you didn't know, have actually completely messed up their anniversary schedule. Uh, the 2010-2011 season where they went to the finals was their 40th anniversary season, but somehow their 2019-20 season was their 50th? Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. But here we are going into, I believe, season 51 officially. So, here's the thing. We're going to go into a little bit of Canucks history. Now you're probably thinking, well... This is August. It's the 22nd of August. There's not really... What kind of hockey history could we really go through at this time? Um, We do actually have a couple things to go into, specifically thanks to this pandemic that we are all still living through because uh, on this time last... On this time just last year, uh, I believe it was on the 21st, if I've got my dates correct, uh, the Canucks played in in their in, played game six of the Western or the not the Western Conference. I shouldn't say that. Well, it was actually it was the Western Conference. It was the Western Conference quarterfinals. They played against the St. Louis Blues in game six and eliminated them in their six two victory. Uh, this um, obviously that was a huge game. Um, you know, you go from the Canucks 
winning the first two games of that series. Prior to that, having won three straight against the Minnesota Wild to win the qualifiers series uh, to get them even to that point. Uh, going up against the defending champion Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues, who had struggled in their qual- in their uh, qualifier series uh, in the round robin. Uh, the Canucks go in, win two games, really just uh, taking it to Jordan Bennington in those first two games to the point where Craig Berube decides to go to uh, Jake Allen for the next three. The Canucks uh, struggle a little bit in the in the games three and four, end up the Blues rallying to tie the series. In But then in game five, they come back with a vengeance and win. Uh, actually, in a come-from-behind victory, thanks to two goals from Tyler Mott. Um, and in game five, and in game six... Uh, the Canucks uh, get it, uh, get to play Jordan Bennington again, the guy who had won the Cup for the Blues. And I don't know about you, but I remember that day, and I remember thinking uh, after the Canucks had been just so good against Jordan Bennington in the first two games, I remember I don't think I've ever seen Canucks social, like the Canucks realm of social media, specifically Twitter, so confident <laughs> that they were going to win. And you know Canucks fans. You're one. You're a Canucks fan. You know that we're not the most confident when it comes to uh, finishing off playoff series. And yet, here were the Vancouver Canucks about to play against a goaltender who, reminder, had just won the Stanley Cup less than a year before, or a little over a year before. And every single, it seemed like every single Canucks fan was like, Oh, this series is wrapped up. It's over already. They're admitting defeat before the pucks even dropped. And including myself, I don't remember ever being so confident that the Canucks were going to win a game. And sure enough, they just took it to Jordan Bennington again. Uh, they score They score the first goal, Jay Beagle, uh, scoring the first goal of that game on a nifty shot uh, through a little bit of a screen from a Blues defenseman. You get... Uh, you get Antoine Roussel or Brandon. Sorry, it was Brandon Sutter following up on that uh, on that play in front, like the third line. Normally, you don't get a lot of offense out of them, and they were and they were firing. Oh, it was Roussel. Uh, Sutter had the had the assistant had the had the initial shot, and I think Roussel got the tap in on it. Um, actually, and Brandon Sutter actually had a three assist game that night. Isn't that that? Who, I forgot that even happened. Um, you, you have the, I think the biggest goal of that game was the passing between literally every single important part of the Canucks team at that time. You have, I think it went something like Brock Besser to Pedersen to step, it went, oh, it went Besser to Stetcher to Pedersen to Hughes and in the net. It was, or, or Stetcher at the end of it. Sorry, it was Stetcher who scored. I can't even remember because it, it, it seems like it seems like a fever dream. It seems so long ago. Jacob Markstrom standing on his head with a with thirty four with thirty four saves on thirty six shots. He was incredible that entire playoff run. Uh, you get two more goals from Tyler Mott to seal it late in the game, and the Canucks eliminate the Stan- the defending Stanley Cup champions in six games. Uh, they chase Jordan Bennington from the net, uh, end, up ha- end up facing Jake Allen for the final half, uh, scoring another one on him to seal it, and they move on to face the Vegas Golden Knights, and that's it. it they all lived happily ever after after that, I'm sure. Nothing, no, definitely no reason to check on that, uh, to fact check me on that. I'm sure they ended up just going on to live in a, in a, in a big castle. That's, that's how that goes. Uh, I'm sure we'll follow up on that sh- on that par- on that series later this week as we get through uh, some more 
Canucks History Corner. That's the first one we've ever done. We'll keep doing them. And I, I think especially we're going to try and find some more obscure ones to do. So hopefully we'll find some ones that are, you know, got a little bit more of a history to them rather than, say, last year. But this is what we got today. The, we get a happy moment to celebrate uh, what was one of the weirdest and, frankly, very fun playoff runs for the from the Canucks to watch. The uh, An absolute underdog the whole way through, and they... They nearly, they knew, they pulled off some magic. They didn't go, they obviously didn't uh, make it even to the final four, but they pulled off some magic regardless. And with that, this ends this Monday edition of Locked on Canucks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to go check out our sister show, Locked on Bets. Betting on hockey doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, Wrong favorite team favored picks and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by BetOnline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. I have been Lachlan Irvin. You can follow me on Twitter at Lock in the Crease. You can also follow me and uh, message me at our podcast Twitter account at Locked On Canucks. Uh, if you want to reach out, if you have any questions or things you'd like to talk, you'd like to hear on upcoming episodes. We got episodes coming out every, right now every Monday, to obviously, as well as Wednesday and Friday. Um, yeah, make sure to reach out and uh, I'll be happy to take some questions and bring on, have some mailbag segments up in the, in the future. Uh, but for now, thank you for listening and I will see you next time.